0: Were you silent or were you silenced? Um, Sorry, no. It was, were you silent or were you silenced? There you go. The enunciation. Like, (laughs) you never thought you could have a whole promo that turned on Oprah's enunciation.
1: We've convened an emergency episode of Show Your Work because of the Oprah Winfrey special with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle.
0: Hello, everyone. I mean, you know, I don't know that we even, by the time we discussed it, like, hey, are we recording tomorrow? It was already a foregone conclusion, right? Like, uh, certainly halfway through, we knew we were going to have to talk about this.
1: This is going to be a quick edit, everybody, uh, maybe not as polished as usual, uh, but we are going to try and get this up uh, quite quickly, and uh,
0: let's go, Duanna, let's go. Um, well, look, I will say that there was a little bit of time when I was annoyed with you because you had a delay, you had other stuff to do, and so you weren't watching in tandem with everybody else, and so... I had to, you know, I, there was so much coming out of so fast. I didn't have a ton of time to check social media, but there were a lot of people who were saying stuff like, wow, I forgot what a great interviewer Oprah is, or wow, I forgot how powerful she is. And I, may I just say, how dare you? Like, how dare people have forgotten? I may be
1: guilty of that. There are times, there have been times in the past over the last few years where I have been a little bit frustrated at Oprah's lack of follow-up. Um, And I've written about that,
0: Um, but she brought it for sure. And she said, uh, you know, in advance of this interview coming out, because I think we've only known for a week and change that this was going to happen, she called it the interview of her career. And that's saying something. Yes. I
1: think that's saying something. And I guess that's a good place to start because in our business, um, promo is a big deal. And they were rolling out some promos last week that made it seem like, yes, this is going to be a big deal. And oftentimes in our art, in our business, it doesn't live up to the hype. They overplay it. And then, or it's, it's almost like, you know, in movies in the trailer where they throw everything that's funny, especially if it's a comedy in the two minute trailer, and then you show up for the movie and you're like, oh, everything that was worth watching was worth watching in the trailer. And so those, some of those trailers for this two hour special were um, so provocative. You know, I'm thinking of the clip, of course, where Oprah asks Meghan Markle, were you silent or were
0: you silenced? Um, Sorry, no. It was, were you <laughs> silent or were you silenced? There you the go. The enunciation. Like, <laughs> you never thought you could have a whole promo that turned on Oprah's enunciation. That's and right. yet, this is the power we're here to talk about. Like, yeah, we're going to talk about the interview and the substance that was discussed, but the power of her is that she can make a whole moment, make a whole viewing audience rabid based on the way she pronounces the end of a word.
1: Totally. But again, like in our business, we see all the time, they hype shit up and then you watch it and you're like, oh, you know, I could have just been on Twitter but for this, you had to watch every minute. And I don't think you could watch it on Twitter. Like I, It is rare that I don't have my phone and I'm texting people when I'm watching something. But this was, this was almost undersold.
0: A hundred percent. And I mean, that is the power of how we know it's going to be a good interview. I'm sure you feel when you've done interviews, when I work on projects, sometimes you do feel like oh, the promo gives away all the best shit the stuff that we thought was going to be juicy that the promo gave away did not even scratch the surface.
1: And And, credit to CBS and Oprah and that team, because it takes some
0: restraint. It absolutely takes restraint. But to your point, if we hear the biggest bombshell, then we're not going to get there. So, uh, I think that's really where we want to begin, and that's about the the production, the producing, and the production of this interview. Yes, and I kind of want to distinguish between them because the producing is what happens beforehand. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think, for example, of the fact that Oprah begins with "Let's just lay this out. You're not being paid, and you know you don't know what I'm going to ask." That kind of disclaimer she did at the beginning. What did you think of that? I. I think… I, I chuckled because I I think that
1: Oprah doesn't need… Like, I haven't seen an Oprah interview where she prefaces things like that.
0: Or any interview. Right? Like, we don't do that because no. it's assumed. And so for her to put it on the table,
1: it means, first of all, these are extraordinary people, but… It also fit in with the theme, one of the themes of the two-hour interview, which, by the way, we now know was almost four hours, that they condensed to two, to two hours, plus whatever we saw that they're dribbling out on CBS this morning. But, um, and I think it, one of the themes was all the fallacies, right, that have been written about Meghan Markle and, all, and, and Prince Harry and all the tabloid reporting. So it, it, was, it was weird. But at the same time, it made total sense when you think about the overarching, some of the overarching ideas that they were unpacking and tackling.
0: Yeah, but it only made sense for these two for this interview, right? Like Oprah would never pay Mm -hmm. a guest and, you know, she would never disclose her questions. That kind of thing. She did say on CBS this morning, I always say to people, what is your intention? So that, you know, I'll tell you my intention. We can set our intentions and hopefully they align. She would never give away her questions. So yeah, to your point, this was for basically like Meg trashers Mm -hmm. uh, and not for anybody who has ever watched a television interview.
1: But also, it's also the establishment of Oprah as... Oprah actually saying reminding us um as if I have to pre-submit my interview questions. Like let's be real, there are times and I won't say who, but in our business we've had we've had to let people know what the questions are. Um but listen, we are not Oprah. As if. Like <laughs> as if you would tell Oprah what you won't and will talk about.
0: Yeah, no. The only way that she's going to essentially come out of retirement, Mm because that's what this is in a lot of ways, is if she's going to do it her way. That's right. So let's talk about what her way is. Mm -hmm. I don't know how precisely this interview came about in terms of who contacted who and who like ran into who at the Gelson's market or whatever. But once it's agreed that this is going to happen, let us make no mistake, there's a massive, massive research team that goes into action. And that's one of the most incredible parts because she never refers to a note. She doesn't look like she's researching anything. No. But she has everything at her fingertips. Um, The thing that I was most interested in is at one point uh, she references, you said on the podcast that it had become, uh, almost unsurvivable. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she doesn't cite the podcast. She doesn't reference it. It's like, if you know, you know, which first of all, do we know what podcast she's referring to? I, I thought it was Megan and Harry's podcast. I assumed so as well, but again, she didn't cite chapter and verse. She didn't say, as you know, we've all been listening to your podcast on Spotify. Like it's very tossed off, right? Yeah. Um, And then in she goes, and I want to put you on the spot a bit because I have a word to describe Oprah's affect through this interview and... I'm curious. What what would be your one word choice for the way that she conducted herself, or for sort of her tone throughout?
1: I thought Oprah was really casual. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's it's not just tone, but there were moments where uh, I don't know if you saw, but she was leaning forward and propping her chin up on her hand. She mm-hmm. was side leaning. Um, at one point, I think it was like near the end. May, I, I, don't quote me exactly, but at some point, she had her arms slung across the back of the chair, and she was saying to Harry, "But the Queen is the Queen. Doesn't the Queen right. get to do what the Queen gets to do?" And so, when you when you think about that question, doesn't that the that doesn't the Queen get to do what the Queen whatever however she phrased that question, like pose with that body language? There is like a there if you talk about intention, there's a lack of formality there.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I would go further. Like people can't see you when you're doing uh, a really credible Oprah pose, by the way. Um, But to me, it spoke to, I would go even further. I agree with casual. She wore glasses, like quite weird glasses, but that were interesting to look at. But, you know, the implication being, I'm not in full face and makeup. I'm not putting on a show. We are just talking. But I actually think that Oprah's overall affect was at times skeptical. Mm. And I think that was a good thing. In fact, I think it was kind of the key to the reason this interview resonates so hard. Yeah,
1: I think the skepticism definitely came through with the power of some of these follow-ups, right? Like, what are you talking about? You're trapped, you in a castle. Um, People are, you know, you're a prince. Like, those follow-up questions were, I think, where the skepticism came in for sure. I think that what was interesting is that if we're talking about affect, she balanced the skepticism. Like, her lead question may not have had that tinge of, really? But the follow-up. Is where she injected that, that powerful, you know, almost like the reaction of an
0: audience. Like she was the proxy, right? Well, exactly. Because it's not just about uh, was she skeptical or was that put on Mm -hmm. or whatnot, but it's to what end, right? And it's going, if I am skeptical, first of all, Oprah is... you know, Oprah's not there to be impressed by these glamorous millennials. Like she's met some people over, over her time, you know, like these guys are great, but they're not, she's not doing cartwheels per se, but the skepticism allows them to elaborate and restate their points to the point where then there really can't be any question for a lot of people. You know no, what I mean? It enhanced their credibility for sure. That's exactly what I meant to say. Totally. That yeah. yes, if you can convince Oprah mm-hmm. when she is in like not quite James Fry mode, but like, you know, James Fry minus 10. Yeah. Um, if you can convince her that you know what you're talking about and that you are being authentic, yeah, then you've done a solid job overall. Um, so yeah, I think Oprah's credibility and lack of, of starstruckness is what was key to making this interview so impressive.
1: But also to go back to your point, the preparation, like the, you know, she was, she was read up on it for sure. She was able to recall things very quickly and listen, not to take away anything from Oprah in the sense of, of course, we know Oprah does her homework, but I also think that part of the reason why Oprah was so sharp in recalling facts and maneuvering, um, the conversation and picking up on things is because Oprah has been like gobbling up. Like we have information about Harry and Megan over the last three, four years. Um, of course she's Oprah. So she was invited to the wedding and she may have a lot more access than we do, but in that way, Oprah's brain is still the audience's brain. She's still in the mind of a viewer who might be watching her show, uh, paying attention to what they see on the newsstand at the supermarket, uh, looking at social media and seeing what people are saying. She's, you know, she wasn't just cramming Over the last two weeks, there may have been some things that she was fine-tuning, but the reason why she knew this inside and out and was able to maneuver so deftly through these questions is because she's been living it. She's been, like, up on the gossip.
0: Well, yeah, and I think we can even make a finer point there when you said, you know, Oprah is still in the mind of the viewer. Uh, I think it's that Oprah can get herself back there. Like, let's be real. This woman is in an incredibly rarefied position and her best friend, Gail King, is, you know, these two, I suspect, care as much about work and work for work's sake as we do and about the protocols and the traditions. And there's nothing that was said in that interview about how the royal family operates or what uh you know what protocols are what they mean that she doesn't know just from years of filing this stuff away or reading voraciously she's a she allows herself though she doesn't let her knowledge get in her way Mm -hmm. of being a great interviewer she's asking what people need to know and what comes up organically by listening which so many interviewers don't do Yeah. um without letting her own knowledge of, oh, that's because of this protocol or this breach or whatever. Um, One thing that she kept coming back to, for example, that I thought was really important was she kept saying, when you say the firm, what is that? Is that the people or Mm -hmm. is that people who work for them? How many are there? Did you get, there was one point where she was asking Megan, how were you told this, that, or the other? And she, I would, Look, I'd do a lot to get my hands on those raw tapes, um, but she she stops just short of saying, "Is it an email? Is it delivered by a messenger?" Like she's trying to really pin down the actual specifics of the thing. That's right. I I love what you
1: I love what you said that about not letting her knowledge get in the way because yes, we know Oprah's a voracious reader and she's up on the gossip. Um, at the same time when she does have the knowledge, she can turn the conversation or at least drill down in a way that's super effective, which we saw with the Australia example. You know, Harry was starting to tell the story about how he and Meghan's tour to Australia was so successful. And he was talking, he was about to go into, Meghan was so great. And his point Mm -hmm. was going to be people were jealous um, within Mm -hmm. the palace. And she Oprah astutely interjected and brought up that thing about The Crown. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, just like on The Crown. Do you watch The Crown? Do you guys watch The Crown, like, on The Crown? You know, did the episode about how your mom and your dad went to Australia? And she just let that dangle there because that episode, if we've all watched season four of The Crown, was about how Diana completely eclipsed Charles in Australia, and that was the beginning of him being jealous of his wife, which is what… Harry was trying to paint the picture of.
0: Which is wild because it's, I'm sure there are lots of examples of times when Diana outshone Charles or things that we could reference, but the Australia issue is in all of our consciousness because the crown season four and that episode was so recent. It's, it's brilliantly kind of curated. But she,
1: judged, um, like she immediately, like I could see her firing and she immediately went in there like someone who has watched The Crown along with the millions of other people who watched The Crown over the last few months. So, you know, it's, as you said, it's a masterful example of being the, uh, like a master interviewer plus a person who's watching.
0: Yeah. And in addition to which... I don't know if there was a pre-interview and because, uh, you know, often, right, before you're interviewed, there's going to be a producer asking you questions that are often more factually based. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about these 10 things or even if it, in the case of a Harry and Meghan, tell us the sequence of events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did you send the first letter to the Queen? When did you not, right? He or she might have said to a a pre-interview... Uh, it really got bad after our trip to Australia, full stop. Then the producer who takes that to Oprah can point out if Oprah did not make the connection. Uh, by the way, this is exactly mirroring a situation on The Crown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Well, here's why I don't think that there was a pre-interview if we're going to like, you know, start to get into production. I don't think there was a pre-interview because um, originally they said the special was 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. So the press release came out that Oprah was going to do this interview. We didn't really know for sure if the interview had already happened at the time the press release came out, but they said March 7th, 90 minutes, Oprah, Sunday, CBS. Then we find out it gets changed to two hours. Mm -hmm. If you've nailed down 90 minutes and let's, even if there were no pre-interviews, which I don't believe that there were, there was a negotiation. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Megan and Harry, Oprah will sit down with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry's gonna fly in for a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be 90 minutes. Hopefully, maybe we can get in and like see the dogs and see the chickens, whatever. Fine. The deal's done, 90 minutes. They fucking sit down and they're like, oh shit, this is more than just a cameo. Harry is essentially the star of hour two. We are extending this to two hours and we have to cut it in a way where we have to leave so much on the cutting room floor, we're going to throw it over to CBS this morning. That's what tells me that there wasn't a pre-interview, that they got there, Oprah did such a great job and they got so much out of it that they gave her, of course, if you're CBS, an extra half hour.
0: Well, yeah, first of all, and also what else do they have to air? Um, But I think too that that speaks to um, more of Oprah's skill level. So when, I don't know at your job these days, and there's less field shooting going on, but what the accepted ratio is, but, you know, it used to be that it was quite regular to, let's say, have a half hour interview with somebody and you get three minutes out of it and, you, or you're expected to get three minutes out of mm-hmm. it. And that's including B-roll and whatever. So that's about 10% if they sat down for three hours and 20 minutes uh, and they aired, you know, less commercials, they aired, uh, call it an hour and a half, that's almost a 50% ratio of completely usable footage. And I haven't even added up the, what, 12 minutes that were released on CBS. So she's incredibly effective in that almost all of the time they were taping Mm -hmm. was usable material. I'm also glad that you brought up the bit about going to their house uh, to look at the chicken coop or whatever, because it reminds us that in other interviews, and I remember this when we would watch interviews like this when we were, you know, primetime live in 2020 or whatnot. Those walk and talk interviews, and they're more casual and whatnot, those can pad out a lot of space if there isn't much in the sit down. Yeah you know, in a different kind of interview, we might've had 10 minutes of that. And this is our cheese chick, so-and-so, and and this is the other one. And this is how Gus escapes from the, oh no, Gus is running. Like filler, essentially. We, this was, there was no filler here. We did not need it. No. Um, It's like, look, this is cute. You may as well throw this in, but it was certainly not there because they needed to fill time.
1: Oh God, no. In, In fact, I think they needed to find time hundred um, percent. Like, I, I imagine with you, I can't even imagine, like, if you were producing that and then you had to sit down, you have the raw, and now you're transcribing. Like, you know, that's why the business with her dad and her, like, half-sister were completely left on the cutting room floor. And remember, they clear footage for that. So, you know, all the legwork, right? Like, you know, we were hearing ahead of the interview and that's what we're get, that's what pe- people were thinking that the interview would be about because what they can't keep secret is CBS has to go to other networks to clear certain footage. So in like Samantha Markle's case, for instance, they had to like go go to some UK networks to be able to like get the the permission to clear that footage. And so when you're doing all that legwork, I mean, Duanna, you can speak to this a little more. When producers are going to the, especially at the CBS level, if you're going through like the labor of clearing footage, you, you want to try and put that on <laughs> you, like your broadcast.
0: Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and sure. But it's a good problem to have if you're like, wow, we just have too much uh, that that we can't put in here, you know? Oh, yeah. The other thing, and you mentioned about Oprah circling back to ask questions, is in the style of interview that uh this is which is to say a two camera interview two cameras rolling all the time it's easier to cut than most and it's easier to oh I think stitch. it was a three there's a wide for two
1: of them right where you could see those rolling hills like beyond and then there had to be an ice like a, an iso on on Oprah and then an iso on the couple or
0: megan right those two isocams are the ones i'm talking about okay. sure there was also a wide for sure um but i think what i'm what i mean is you can stitch the conversations together mm-hmm. even more easily than you otherwise would uh so a really good example is when megan talks about uh you know the the comment about archie's skin color mm. and oprah says what what yeah. What? Who said that? Yeah. And you cut back to Megan and she is nodding sadly. hmm And then we cut to commercial. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that in the moment, she did not merely nod sadly. Um, because when Oprah is demanding an answer from you, right. you don't just smile beatifically and yeah. wait for a commercial break to roll in. Um, and so… Uh, this also speaks to the structuring of what we saw is, you know, has to be. So, for example, there are a couple of times when Harry says, I'm sure that you talked about this beforehand. Uh, and if those two nod, if Megan and Oprah nod, like, yes, we talked about that, then we better see that before he says that in yeah. order to make us feel like we're there, like we're not missing anything. Yes, for you sure. You know? Um, and so there's just a lot of artistry that we don't see that we shouldn't see uh, if it's done well but this is done particularly masterfully well and i think when they go back to that clip about the the skin color interrogation uh, after that same break we get a totally different response from megan like i don't think they even use that beatific smile in that moment so yeah. it's it's really beautifully done i think and
1: and i agree with you like the things that you shouldn't notice because you're just watching and you're following the story, right? But obviously Mm -hmm. the things that people behind the scenes in TV have to make it so that it doesn't become a distraction. I also like though that juxtaposed with the subtleties that you kind of only talk about if we're doing Inside Baseball on TV production are the things that Oprah didn't make subtle. She made a point twice to say, oh, Harry you've been standing here the whole time when I've been talking to Megan twice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Oprah doesn't do things by accident. As we know, there was a purpose to that. And given what like Megan had just shared. So that includes like Archie's skin tone, that gross question. And that whole conversation, Megan had also disclosed that she was in a serious, like a mental health crisis and wasn't helped. Like, You know, she did that to establish, hey, when Meghan was talking about all these things that are quite headline-making, Harry was just off camera. He heard everything, and what she's saying is he verified
0: everything. And endorses, Uh and we are therefore disposing of this tired-ass trope Mm -hmm. of this poor boy who loves, uh, you know, is beloved by Britain. Being led astray by this Jezebel, um, which is more or less the narrative that naysayers or just Piers Morgan uh, (laughs) are continuing to try to, to conduct, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. That's step number one. Step number two is after she's told us multiple times that he was just off camera listening and verifying is when he comes in, sits down and goes, well, now that you've heard this, let me lay the hammer. You know what I mean? It makes, it makes what he's about to do. Like he can build on it. And, and in in many ways, like as, as I wrote on the site, in many ways, he really was the closer.
0: He absolutely was the closer. And I think too, what made that such a, a bombshell, uh, was, frankly, it took it out of the province of being, forgive me, women's talk, right? There's a lot at the beginning about, uh, the baby and did you cry? Did Kate cry? And, oh, uh, the queen was nice to you. Yeah. She reminded me of my grandma. It is, The stereotype, which you've been fighting against since time immemorial, of gossip, right? Mm -hmm. Girl talk, if you will. Um, And then he comes in and is like, not only do I stand behind everything that's been discussed, but watch me come in with my bombshells. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: Watch me come in with my bombshell, um, but also like… Super smart because we were talking about Megan's voice being taken away from her. So mm-hmm. you you also can't set it up where he's sitting there. And, you know, if he's sitting there, like, it is awkward to have a conversation if you're Oprah and ignore one of the people you're sitting across from. So you set it up. You open up with Megan, the theme of which I didn't have a voice. Nobody was helping me. I've, so you allow her to tell her story and what happened to her in her way. Then you establish he was listening the whole time, verifying. Now he's going to come in and he's going to like kill it with having all that information and what he thinks of it. It's so very yeah, well I, done and flow.
0: The flow is it so really good. is. And I just need to spell out why it has to be that way. Because if you sit down with both of them, as you say, to begin Mm -hmm. with, right, and she starts off with this, this and that, I was naive, uh, and then I was silenced, I whatever, the problem there, and I know you know, and I'm trying to decide if I like quiz you, but what the problem there is that Oprah is bound by the creed that she's kind of set for herself in this meeting, in this interview, to turn to him and go, how could you let that happen? Why did you let that happen? And it derails and undercuts, to your point, what Megan is saying. This way, you get to have her whole story play out and she gets to say Harry was there or wasn't there. This is what he said or did in these moments. And yeah, to your point, he's already endorsed that. So we don't need to clarify any of it. And then also we get the point of, and I have more to say. Yeah.
1: And a third thing, if we're piling it on, it's the juxtaposition of here's Megan who was not born into this family and her experience as an outsider, so to speak, right? Coming in and learning it and how difficult it was. So we get that perspective and then we get the perspective of the ultimate insider. Born, raised, bred, everything. He knows it. He knows the shorthand. He knows every nook and cranny, all of that. So... In terms of the storytelling of it, it's, it's as what? 360? It's as fulsome as possible. Yes. Because you're, you're, you, you, when we talk about lenses in storytelling, they gave us two very different lenses. Back to back Well, and like in a
0: singular way. And this is where the uh, too much knowledge does come into play. You know, half a dozen times… He says things to her, like, to Oprah, that is, like, that's the role. That's the job. You must, you know, uh, she said, people thought you were enjoying Prince life. Uh, and I'm willing to bet that in a different context or on the cutting room floor, she brought up, you know, you were naked in hotel rooms or whatever. Um, and she makes him spell out, this is what it, this is what's required to work, within my family this is what the job entails not for her mm-hmm. but for us yeah. you know there's a, a faction online of people who are accusing oprah of being ignorant of of colorism and racism like what how could they say that that's not for oprah it is not because she doesn't understand that people could be racist like are you kidding me that is for us, the viewing audience, to clarify for all of us and to make Harry trot out. If if what Meghan says is true, and by and large, the American viewing audience, you and I are in Canada, so there's arguably a, a difference, doesn't know about the ins and outs and protocols, but also the customs of, you know, the royal family, she is making them spell it out word for word. hmm Uh, here's my last question to you on the Oprah of it all. Yeah. Do you think that she knew in the moment that this was great or do you think she, she would never react? She's Oprah. But do you think that there was something in one of the reveals that surprised her? And then she was like, holy shit, we have gold here. Or do you think she knew all the way along or what's, what's your gut on when, and at what moment she was like, oh my God, I got to text Gail.
1: I, I think that I would imagine, I mean, I'm not sure in real time when um, when it would have happened where uh, Megan was like, uh, it, it really was the conversation about Kate, mm. which ended up being, um, which ended up being like the most inconsequential bit of tea.
0: It was an appetizer.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think for Oprah, if that came at the 40 minute mark of their sit down, which was at the five minute mark of television, to me, that was probably when Oprah was like, Oh shit. Like we I still haven't even asked her about, you know, leaving yet. I haven't asked her about stepping down. I haven't, or stepping back, I haven't asked about any of this, and she's already giving me this. That is when I think Oprah was like, yep, we got it here.
0: Here we go. Yeah, yeah. amazing.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: So um, on top of all of this glorious production and the fact that it all went so smoothly, You know, it's cause and effect. Harry and Meghan, but especially Harry, I suspect would not have been so forthcoming if they weren't in such deft hands. I believe that while I'm sure they talked about what they wanted to say, that there were some split second decisions that were made because she's so skillful, because they know it's going to be handled in the right ways. But Damn, were there some things that were said? Oh, yeah. And I maintain
1: that the, the things that Harry said may carry more impact because we listen, it was sold to us. Megan hasn't been speaking. This is Megan's first time telling all of her story. But, uh, you know, the narrative was never that it was like, going to be Harry coming in and telling on his family.
0: No. And, you know, that is, I think, the way that this will be remembered, but it's not how it was sold. And I wonder if that is to avoid the inevitable comparisons that are now happening to the Diana and Martin Bashir interview, because Harry, even more than Diana, has been bred his whole whole entire life to, uh, to use an old term of yours, keep his shit tight. Mm -hmm. Like in telling these stories in this way, in saying things like, uh, when my father stopped taking my calls, like, oh, that is overriding his arguably number one prime directive. And it was said in such an offhand manner. Well, I have a theory about that. Okay, um, I don't think that the offhand manner was calculated or trying to be coy. me neither. Um, I think it was said in an offhand manner the way your friends say things like that because he is hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's the star of this uh of this interview, uh not because he's the more famous or has more to say per se but because he's the more vulnerable. Megan, for all the shit that she's gone through and all the racist and cruel invective that she had to endure, I feel resigned herself some time ago, I don't know when that time was, to I have to know my truth and that has to be enough. Like, I don't get to correct things. But he's never felt that way in this regard, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When she was talking about, you know, the, the, the palace staff will correct stories for members of the house, obviously they let the petty ones go, but when there were big deals, he would feel like he was supported or could get his point across some way or other. And this was the first time, I think, that he was like, "I'm I feel injured that I'm being portrayed this way and that my family is behaving this way. It was raw. Oh, I agree, and it, not only that, but
1: like, it, I, I'm and I, I want to say this like respectfully and sensitively, but also it was about like as Megan said herself, she had a full life, right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. compared to, like, she had a full life where she had to make her own living, know what it was to work, know what it was, especially as an actor, to deal with rejection all the time, like auditions all the time. And as a a black woman, a biracial woman, obviously, not that it's right, but the the scar tissue that builds up, for example, when you are a, a woman of color walking around in this world, like, I'm not saying she deserved it or should. It's not something anyone should get used to. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, pain and trauma and being othered is is not uh, a foreign uh, a foreign feeling for her. To that level, of course, as she said, to that level, it really, I mean, it it, it put her in crisis for sure. But it's not something that was as surprising as somebody who's literally grown up in a castle, Mm -hmm. um, and has only had the best things served up to him. Of course, yes, he lost his mother at a very young age, but like the realities of the world were not something that he confronted every day. And then to be abandoned by his family, which is how he feels, that's the hurt you're talking about.
0: Yeah. In many ways, the shell shock is worse for him a hundred percent and you'll notice that the abandonment from his family is what hurts yes right it's not the uh it's not the press it's not the media um partly because he's been bathed in adoration his whole life right there's an expression that actors often say when they're talking about reviews that if you believe the good you also have to believe the bad mm-hmm. and so I believe that to a certain extent, uh, prior to his experiences with, with Megan and the racism and the dog whistles in the press, which we'll get into, um, that he sort of was able to let it all roll off. What you don't let roll off is when you go to your family and say, I'm actually in need. And he clearly had felt for all this time until he was whatever in his mid thirties, like when push came to shove his family would be there and then they weren't mm-hmm. like that's that's real raw pain and that's something we don't often see 38 uh, year old men dealing with yeah live on television like we don't often see that processing happening
1: and there's a you're right and there's also this weird analogy of um, I don't know how closely it applies, but I thought of it, and we're just throwing things out. You know that thing we always say about, like, when fame arrives, depending at what age, how you're prepared mm-hmm. for it? Like, mm-hmm. I, the inverse is kind of true in this situation, where if you're not a prince and you're not growing up in the royal family and you have, like, realities to meet, the world will let you down. People will be mean to you. You know, uh, people won't fucking That's kiss life. your ass. That's life. That's life. And most of us who aren't a prince or a princess pick that up real fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You get shoved on the playground. Like, who fuck cares about you? I don't have to be nice to you. You're not like you're not a prince. You don't have a title, right? It gets uh, in, of obviously over and over again in high school. So again, like, it's not shell shocking in adulthood when as the things that you were listing, in, that shit happens to you. But when you are a prince, like. And it doesn't happen until you're in your thirties. You're like, what the fuck? Where would have his skill set been?
0: Well, and and where would its skill set have been for those those close betrayals, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there were stories when the princes were younger. And speaking of younger, I have uh, unofficially aged Prince Harry, uh, which I apologize. He is only thirty six years old, um, but. You know, there were all those stories about how the princes would, like, plant false stories with their friends to see who was leaking and that they were, uh, you know, cautious about who they told real stuff to. But that was always with the understanding that we, as this family, have to have mm-hmm. to do these things. Um, but he and was in never- on it. He was in on it. Yeah. yeah. He was on the outside yeah. the first time. If you want to make the high school allegory, it's, yeah, he's been kicked out of the in crowd and that is, that's painful. That hurts. And then of course, not to be silly about it. That's your, that's your family. That's your father and your brother and your grandmother and, and they're going to rule the entire, uh, Commonwealth or nominally rule, which is another conversation. Um, so yeah, it's a lot that he is very clearly still processing. And I think we saw some of that processing happening more or less in real time.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why I, to me, the heavy, the, like the heavy came, you know, not in the first hour with Megan, but in the second.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Those were the, the bombs that, that came through. Um, like just hit after hit right? yeah. That um, he, you know, when she said, I asked for help and I was told I could not get help. I could not go check myself in somewhere. I couldn't Mm -hmm. uh, see somebody. First of all, we know this to be bullshit, right? And when I say that, I mean, of course the palace has every kind of therapist and psychiatrist and whatever on speed dial. Of course somebody can come in. So this is somebody trying to make life difficult for her.
1: Yes. And like I said, I don't want to go back and say, not that that wasn't heavy in the first hour. That was painful. It was just, we've gotten used to knowing that these people let
0: Megan down. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But this was one of the points where going back and retreading that ground was important because then he says, then I went and asked Mm -hmm. on her behalf and I was told no. And, like, imagine that is the kind of thing that's the raw hurt. Imagine he's never not had access to a resource before. There's no such thing as when you're in the royal family as not having access to a resource that you need. That's that's unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and when he talked about so that was a big hit. Then, of course, there was the, uh, the discussion about, uh, was that the next one or uh, the discussion about the... Oh, the suspicions or or debates or dubiousness over uh, Archie's title, Archie's uh, image release, and behind all of that, the evil speculation over what will Archie look Yeah, I think like. that was all mixed in there. Yeah.
1: About um, how protected he would be, you know, how valued, essentially.
0: Right. And, well, that's a really good way of putting it because, you know, that kind of stuff about, and this is really your wheelhouse, um, about will he be a prince or will he not, uh, who will confer that title or not. And we were all fed and we, we bought it. We were all fed the lines about, they prefer him not to have that sort of obligation hanging over his head and they prefer not to saddle him with an official title and whatnot. Uh, and, and now we're hearing actually it was the other way around. He's not getting one, and thus he's not getting uh, you know, the security and so forth. Were you surprised at the amount of focus on security?
1: I I was, but not like I wasn't complaining about it. I loved no. that these were like the nitty gritty details. First of all, they almost never talk about it. Like the things that the things that Harry was willing to reveal about the actual mechanics of being royal, mm-hmm. security, mm-hmm. money, the the invisible contract, how it works, like the, the the scratch my back, scratch your back relationship with the tabloid media. All of that is something that they, even even him, hearing the words the
0: firm come out of his mouth,
1: that's unprecedented.
0: Well, can you actually tell us why? Because I learned that term from you, the firm. And uh, I, it's, it's, I I can never tell whether it is a slightly derisive and slightly affectionate nickname or whether it is all derisive or tell me why that was such a big deal for you. It's an, well, it's an inside, it's an inside
1: expression. They use it only among themselves to refer to themselves essentially as a business, a corporation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But their public facing reputation is we're these like anointed born were born to this, but we don't want you to focus on that too much. We're a family. We're also human. Um, and by God design, you know, we have been given this privilege, right? They never His really, birthright. yeah. Right. They never really want the public to, to be that, reminded of the fact that it's Royal Family Inc.
0: Right. That it's an enterprise. That's right. And that being glamorous is their job in order to continue to be, let's just spell it out, like funded by the people of the Commonwealth. And remember,
1: it's uncouth for these people. Like they're, you know, they're the opposite of immigrant styles, Duanna, where your dad and my parents will like in the first 10 seconds ask how much something is. How much do you oh, make? Uh, uh, how much yeah. did you buy your car for? Like, it is, you know, a thing that many immigrant children growing up with immigrant parents understand that, you know, when we go into certain white spaces, it's mortifying, right? And these, these are the people who live that by, like, the rule where, oh my God, they'd be scandalized talking about money. And when, right. you, talk, when you refer to yourselves as the firm, the dollar
0: signs are wrapped around the name. I I love that explanation, uh, to say nothing of the fact that what we might be seeing, it's, it is a side of the celebrity package, right? That they think about and, and plan for what we will see, uh, in order to continue loving them in order to continue loving the brand, as opposed to this is just who we are. Um, so I really love that kind of explanation there. Um, so yeah, lots of talk of security and of the the nitty-gritty of how things work. Uh and then his shock at what seemed like a one, two, three punch, right? Of uh our plans are being changed that we've been working out with the queen for all this time, uh, and my father's not taking my calls and <laughs> yeah. uh our security is being removed, and they cut me off financially.
1: And again, talk of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think to go back to money and your security question, a lot of the griping I, over a year ago when they first announced that they were stepping back, you know, the haters and some people were like, well, who's going to pay for their security? Are we still funding mm-hmm. the bill for their mm-hmm. security? And mm-hmm. that was, that became a thing where they had to be like, well, you know, it was held against them. You don't want to be right. royals, but now we have to pay for your security. And, y- you know, so so them positioning it in a very human way. We have a young baby. We're hunted by not only the media, but the media that has activated racists. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. I think that they were connecting those dots, right? The media did this to us. You weren't protecting us. Because of the media's rhetoric, it activated this disgusting racism I don't know if you heard the story like the BBC had to report like or had to apologize to Harry for running a story on this group calling him a race trader, which is the dis- disgusting term right like right so when you those are trigger words for a certain faction of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then they're having a child they have moved there were people who are like reducing the security issue to, like, something that was as simple as money. When, as we as we heard last night, they painted the picture, it's a lot more complicated. This is a life you're talking about.
0: Absolutely. Um. And and I actually thought that that was, a, it was so well sketched uh, when he said, you know, they've removed my security and uh, the borders are about to be closed and the Daily Mail has disclosed where we live. Uh, My tiny uh, little annoyance with the whole interview is I kept waiting to hear the word Toronto because I'm a narcissist (laughs) and they kept saying Canada. Um, And uh, we're in trouble. Like anybody who in that position would not feel this way, basically, right? Yeah. Um, I thought that was all real, really well sketched out and really well explained to to get us into his frame of mind, you know? Um, and I, I, I wonder whether, you know, I, I guess the question is, this is all verifiable. They can add all this up. They can prove to it. One thing I noticed too, is that Megan kept trying to say there's precedent, there's precedent. Uh, we wanted roles for which there is precedent. People do this. And to be fair, neither Oprah nor Harry picked up on it at all because, That's not the point, right? When you are being bullied, and I'm talking about inside the family now, it doesn't matter how much kind of you point to something and say, but this is justified, but this is is valid. Uh, it's it doesn't matter, right? People don't want to hear it. The other thing that I really strongly felt, and I wonder if you felt the same way, was to me, this it felt like controlling parents and a supposedly out of control teenager. You know, you're talking about things that do or don't happen in, in certain types of families. Have you ever heard those stories about people say, Oh, I was grounded or I was this or that. and My parents were so mad. They took away my door. You know, that thing of like, I, um, they basically were trying to call his bluff, right? Okay. Let's see how you do without your security, without your money, without access to your grandmother, trying to call his bluff. And I say his, A, because as Megan says, he was the one who ultimately pulled the plug and got them out of there. But also because I firmly believe that somewhere in the firm, there were people who were trying to get him to leave her, to walk away. Totally agree. Totally agree right they yep. were turning up the pressure over and over thinking yeah sooner or later he will break yep. and we will win if not immediately then eventually mm-hmm. and i'm sure that they think that because it has worked right like i don't know what strangleholds they have on others but i'm sure and we've heard of you know when people say well why do you have to listen to those people who say well they did it to princess margaret Sure, they did it to Princess Margaret, but even saying to Meghan, no, you can't go out for lunch or or whatever else. And we've heard that from not just Meghan, right? We've heard things like that from other royals because leaning on them or excluding them or whatnot has, in the past, had the desired effect of keeping control. Yeah. it's
1: And again, like, this is what's complicated and becoming increasingly gross in terms of what we know of them like they're they're using strong arm business tactics like mm-hmm. how you would corner mm-hmm. a a business or an uncooperative partner or whatever in business like strong how how gross it, it, things like that work in business but they're applying it on human beings who are their family
0: members they're Family members. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's work. (laughs) Like for some people, that's their job. So there are people who, you know, because that's why Oprah was like, who's the firm? Who are these people? You know, Harry didn't name it, but, you know, he painted this picture of the queen being surrounded by advisors who give her bad advice. Right. And it's not just other members of the royal family. Although, I mean, I think wink wink, we know that Charles, Prince Charles was was very, very um called out here. You know, he didn't name it, and he, but I think that was the implication. But, you know, we also learn that there's this whole ecosystem. So there are people who are staff members who are like paid to manipulate these situations on behalf of the firm, which, you know, the crown again, to your point earlier and what we've been seeing, has been like educating us on <laughs> for right. four seasons, right? From season one. Like, I don't know how well you remember season one, and but that was Tommy. There's a character who mm-hmm. is, is the queen's manipulator, like who it's strategist, who behind the scenes is puppet stringing, puppet mastering everything.
0: And courtiers still nothing. work that way. This is what like Shakespeare wrote half his shit about, right? Was like yep. uh, advisors whispering in the ear and it's still happening. But I do think it's worth uh, getting your take on whose ear is doing what. So uh, Harry and Meghan made a great point kind of over and over of saying the queen has been great and wonderful and we've had access to her, even though, uh, as Oprah points out, doesn't the queen get to do whatever the queen wants? (laughs) So is this more brainwashing? Are they, like, what do you think is going on here? Is Charles calling the shots and the queen is like, look, I'm out of here soon, so you guys better figure it out amongst yourselves. So, you know, create a system that is ongoing. Or is... uh, is Charles being set up as the bad guy so that she can be, continue to look like the good guy? What is your take? Well, I think that's what really Harry did a great job
1: of laying the groundwork, like leaving enough crumbs for people to put together the fact that, yes, the queen is up there. She's in her 90s. And the handover to Charles is well underway, even more mm-hmm. so than has been made public. The public-facing mm, mm-hmm. version of the British royal family is that the Queen's the boss. She knows everything, right. right? Even in this Harry and Meghan narrative, the the tabloids are all like, the Queen is the one who rejected them. The Queen took away their titles. The Queen took away their patronages. And so they're they're making sure that the like the British public in like in particular think that even in her 90s, she's super sharp, sharp she's aware of everything, and she is. Like Don Corleone still. Logically, it does make sense that this handover, like she's been handing things over to her son, just like, you know, not really letting everybody know how much day to day he is making the decisions and signing off on things. What Harry's done is he's planted that seed. He's like, heads up, my dad's in charge, she's resting, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and… Half the time, she doesn't really know shit. She told me to come over to the house. Then the next day, they changed her schedule.
0: Right. And, right. Okay, so let's follow that to its conclusion then. To what end? Like, obviously, you know, Oprah kind of asked, and there was no, there wasn't a super clear, satisfying answer. Like, what is this interview going to do to your relationship with the Crown? Mm -hmm. I'm sure people will write nicely worded statements, but who are we kidding? Like, this is… Yeah. This is what? Like, you fill in the blanks. What is their relationship now going forward?
1: Well… They're done, yes? I, pff, they're done. I think they're done because, you know, I think that he is hitting at… Harry is hitting at the thing that is the most important to his father, which was is to become king. Listen, prior to this, there was always… I mean, it was at its height when Diana died, but there has always been for years and years, even before the drama or whatever started with Harry and Meghan, there have always been questions about Charles's suitability, fitness to be king. Mm -hmm. You can look back as far back as 10 years ago, articles from the UK media should Charles step aside for his son, William.
0: I would say even before that, there were stories about people not being enthusiastic about him. That's right. And that is really saying something because as we've been discussing, it's mostly a ceremonial job, right? If you're basically, uh, and you know, look out for a sniper to come through my window when I say this, but if you are mostly like a goodwill ambassador, then the fact that people see you as unfit is pretty damning. Yeah. And it speaks directly to charisma and, you know, like ground enthusiasm and all the things he doesn't have.
1: And he's been trying for years to establish himself as someone who's fit, right? Like slowly but surely, and they've been getting him ready for it. This is a major setback where we like his youngest child is like, uh, yeah, my dad uh, treated me. He's an asshole um, and we're not getting along. And this is what's happening. And also he's not transparent. He doesn't tell you things. And he may have been the one to question the unwhiteness
0: of my child. Good luck with I- the Commonwealth. So but OK, so I got to ask the next question to what end? Is this a master plan takedown? I, that, that's a good
1: question. Whether or not it's a, to what end, several options. It could be, sure, burn it all down. It could also be, uh, dad, just like my mom said, because Diana strongly intimated it, mm-hmm. step aside for my bro. Mm-hmm. My brother would mm-hmm. be better at this. Mm-hmm. He may not be getting along with his brother right now, but he actually
0: didn't he didn't
1: declare war on his brother.
0: That was made so clear. Yeah, that's right. Um he left a lot of room. you know. Yeah, there's my relationship with my father is difficult or strained or whatever the phrase was. Uh my relationship with my brother is space. Well, we all need space sometimes, yeah. right? And we all annoy our siblings sometimes. Like that is I thought I thought that was very difficult definitively different. I thought that was impressive. Yeah.
1: And, and again, I, who knows what coded language Harry may have been doing on a different level. Like it's one thing, remember, he was using the firm's language against itself, you know, giving Uh away these code words, you know, the invisible contract, using the firm, talking about the security. But we're hearing it one way. You don't know how Will's hearing it. William may have had a different way of hearing and picking out, Harry, you're going after dad. Are you going after dad? Cause, oh, and then you didn't really come at me too hard. So are you, are you shaking the public's confidence in dad's fitness and suitability to maybe pump me
0: up? Well, and this is where I wonder if, uh, I obviously I think Harry and Megan are completely aligned Uh, and you know, they're, they're both clear on what they want to do. And, and she's supportive of him, like saying what he needs to say and so forth. But, uh, I do think that they had slightly different messaging. Um, the headline that did not make the headlines that I expected. And again, it's one of those things I kind of knew, but didn't really know, know was that the palace throws Christmas parties for the tabloid. Yeah, right? They're trying to deny that, whole- that today like in the papers. Right. Yeah. Well, but that that's my point, right? Harry says it's symbiotic and Megan says, "Yeah, look how symbiotic it is." Um, you know, those are two slightly different ends. Uh so I really like your idea that he is sending coded messages through the interview uh because he knows goddamn well that everybody is going to parse every phrase of it even more intently than we are. Yeah. I mean,
1: listen, I think at this point, after what we've seen, anything is possible. Um, And if he's choosing certain words and choosing to speak in a certain way, but his main target, his big bad is his dad. Oh, yeah. Then if his mother was like, Yeah, Charles, not suitable. I see it should be William. Uh, And so many other parallels have worked out with how Diana approached the
0: situation. Why is that impossible? I mean, maybe it's not. And maybe that should be our final question to you. You said the palace is denying that bit about uh, the tabloids, or maybe the tabloids are. Everybody's talking about, uh, you know, What will, how will the palace respond? What will the response be or when will they respond? Um, What can they respond? This is my question to you. What is a possible play here if you're the palace? What do you do? That, listen, that is a, that is a good question. And it's like,
1: it is what we do here on this show is like talk about strategy and what to do. And at the moment, like, I'm glad that they haven't come out with an official response yet because they need to take time. They fucked their shit up last week, you know, when they were trying to get ahead of the broadcast. They were leaking all that shit about Megan allegedly <sighs> bullying and,
0: and no one bought it, right? Like you're so stupid. Like because it was, it was <sighs> clumsy, sloppy. That's right. There were no names, no specifics. It could not have felt more like a made-up rumor in the sixth grade.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so they bungled that. So i I'm hoping they take a breath and figure out if there should be a response and what that response is. Like, I I, I don't know. Bring in, uh, if it were me, I'd bring bring in some outside, like, assistance. Like, clearly the people that are institutionalized in the firm can't see it. They don't get it. No. That's why they got outplayed. So the first thing I would do is, like consult with some fresh eyes who know like a the, a different game and can at least throw some new ideas against the wall they may be bonkers but it, it may give you like a new fucking lens to go at come at it from
0: well you know and it's about pride and and image right because i'm just thinking the play for the royal family covid aside Is to see Charles or the Queen or William or somebody making a pilgrimage to Santa Barbara to reach out with the olive branch, right? That would save a lot of face if you have the image, the idea of somebody going to visit them on their turf. Mm -hmm. But Elaine, I have never read even a single Inside Baseball at the Palace book, and I already know that. Idea would be dismissed out of hand,
1: and yeah, the the institutionalized people, the the ones who've been there for a long time, they mm-hmm. would kill it of, of how never. As we if would never. W- we why would we go there to these Americans? If anything, they should come here on our terms. But we don't bend be, the knee. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be like? Wouldn't that be interesting? Like, wouldn't that at least be so out of the box that it would be like okay.
0: Okay. It would be a huge PR win. It'd be like, oh, they are human. Oh, he misses his son. Oh, oh, see, he's not all bad. Oh, they're whatever. They're at the batting cage. Um, But it would never happen because it's about pride and it's about like, well, I should be given the respect. Like that's, I think the part that will sit with me for a long time is that this, Harry said it came out of jealousy. And I would argue it's more fear of, of the power of Harry and Meghan and the press, right? Like the fear of how powerful they are and that they would be able to do essentially what they are doing. But if people could put their pride aside and their fear aside, they actually could turn around from this, but they kind of might not. Well, I, I think that you hit on that. Like the
1: fear Is what we learned from Harry is that this family that is supposedly perfect, right? They, you know, they do things perfectly. They have the highest standard. They're afraid of the joke I made on the site was they're afraid of the publication that gives us our up-to-date news on what happens with passengers on Ryanair. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like he essentially said they're afraid of what those people were right about them. Can you reconcile that yourself? That's why Oprah, I loved her reaction. She was like, what? Like, you're the royals. Why would you be afraid of, you know, that? And and that is what
0: landed. That is like, are you that weak? But they are because they know, to your earlier point, they're hanging by a thread, right? All it takes is a little revolution for people to go, sorry, are we just paying for 15, 25, 50 people to just live lives of luxury for no fucking reason? Why? It doesn't take much, right? They need to remain as kind of Barbie dolls uh, to remain entertaining enough, beloved enough, uh, uh respected enough that the whole house of cards doesn't come tumbling down. Or so they think,
1: because again, it's going to come tumbling down if they maintain that old school of thought, right? Like, yeah. you know, you yeah, are… Yeah, it's the double-edged sword. Exactly. Like, you, if you're going to kowtow to that kind of tabloid legacy media and ignore, like, new media and the new way people are communicating and the… The the learning and growing that people are doing, then you're mm-hmm. you're still going to be seen as a dinosaur, and the whys are going to come at you. Why you? Why that? Why this? So y- you might as well make a choice, given those options, to be on the right side. If only
0: it <laughs> were that easy.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess. And. Look, I mean, we may have to, when they issue their response, we may have to do another podcast analyzing the work of the royal family and whether or not they did it right. Like, I, listen, deep breath, royal family. Uh, Not that I'm, like, here, you know, I I think lots, like, seriously, it's disgusting what has come out. But on a work strategy side, like, think it through, man.
0: Well, maybe that's sort of the, the thing to take away here is that uh, Harry and Meghan, with the ample and able assistance of Oprah Winfrey, uh, I saw, I think, on CNN, they referred to them as three mononyms, which I really liked, um, have set an entire firm scrambling, right? Mm-hmm. How many staff? Hundreds? Everybody Jeez. is wringing their hands about what to do over the actions of these three people. And I mean, that speaks a lot to the level of power right there. I do like your idea
1: though. I mean, or like, listen, there's a new member of the family expected to like, you know, expected in the summer, you know, get on a fucking plane, go see the baby if they let you in. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and resurrect your entire self-image in the process. <laughs> Won't happen, as you said. Well, I feel like uh, adrenaline-filled and invigorated and a little bit terrified. So uh, I, I know that's how Oprah wanted us to feel on our way out. Uh, so I think we consider that a success. Thank you, Oprah, um, for the television event of the year. Truly. And thank you to all of you who are listening and especially those of you who said that you were looking forward to hearing us talk about this because, uh, not like we needed an excuse to rant about this stuff, but, uh, it's, it's exciting to break it down in this way. And this, this quickly after it happened, we'll be
1: back soon, but send us your comments, your thoughts, leave comments and review, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time we're hard. Bye.